Thank you, ladies. That is a wonderful song to prepare our hearts today for Romans chapter 8. We'll be looking at uh, verses 5 through 8 of Romans chapter 8 today, so if you'd go ahead and turn there. Maybe you have discovered in your life that it's, uh, it's not only impossible to please everyone, oftentimes it's hard to please anyone. And uh, the larger crowd you try to please, the harder it seems to be. But um, we see that reflected in a number of ways. Uh, from time to time, a polling organization will come out with a presidential approval rating and uh, I was surprised to find out that if uh, if a president had like a 60% approval rating that was considered good you mean if 40% of the nation is against you that's good I mean that's the best you could hope for um, so I, I hope your approval rating is better than that what would, what would your approval rating be with your family if they were to be given a poll? How would they rate you? Uh, or at work, how would you be rated? But most significantly, what is your approval rating with God? Is, is God pleased with you? Can you, in fact, do anything that pleases God? As we continue our study in this marvelous chapter, Romans 8, which addresses the, the victorious man, we'll see that the part of the victory that we have is finally being in the position where we can please God. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 8, but to, to read it more, the text more in this context, we'll start at verse 3 and go through 9. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God nor indeed can be so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. What Paul is talking about is the, the ability of man to please God. And he says very directly in verse 8, So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I want to look just a moment in this 
uh, these verses to see why that is. Why is it that unsaved people cannot please God? Those who walk in the flesh cannot please God. There's four reasons that Paul gives for this. First of all, because they live according to the flesh. Um, Verse 5, the first part says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the flesh. That means that they are still in the flesh, as verse 8 says. To be in the flesh and to live according to the flesh is to be in the unregenerate state. It means a person who is not born again, a person who is, who is not saved. They are not in the spirit, they are in the flesh. This passage talks about and contemplates only two groups of people. The, those who are born again and are saved and can please God and those who are not born again and in no way can please God. So those who are in the flesh live according to the flesh. Now Paul is not here giving an exhortation but an explanation. That is his purpose in this passage is not to say to you well you need to try to live more in the spirit instead of living in the flesh. He is giving a, a state of being that you are either in the flesh and you will live that way or you are in the spirit and you will live that way. To live according to the flesh is the natural consequence of being in the flesh. It means that the flesh or the, the natural sinful man, what we might call the old man, is the guiding, controlling regulating principle of one's life a monkey is a monkey now we expect a monkey to act like a monkey right you have no problem with the monkey acting like a monkey when your child acts like a monkey that's not so good but we expect a monkey to act like a monkey why because it's a monkey. It's, it's nature to act like a monkey, right? You, could tr- you can teach a monkey to do some human-like thing, some very simple task, but did that make it a human? Not if you had billions of years to work with in evolution, it does not make it a human. A monkey is a monkey. So God designed it that it's, it's nature. We expect it to act that way. That's the kind of thing that Paul is saying here. If you are in the flesh, you're going to act according to the flesh. It should be no surprise. If you are unsaved, you will act unsaved. And you will not please God. Those who live according to the flesh cannot please God because they live according to the flesh and not according to God. Now that does not mean that they couldn't do things we might call good. You might have a friend or co-worker, for instance, who is a, who's not a believer, but they're kind. They might do a favor for you. They might come over and mow your lawn or something. That would be a good thing, right? So it's not saying that an unsaved person can't do anything good. It's saying that they can't do anything that pleases God. His standard is much higher than ours. The unsaved cannot please God because they live according to the flesh. And secondly, because they set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
See again verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Now to set your mind on something is, is much more than just thinking about something. It's not like they just once in a while think about sin or something like that. To set one's mind on something is a, a statement of the will. Uh, it has to do with what one earnestly seeks after. If I told you, I, I have my mind set on doing this. I have my mind set on buying that. Do you think I'm wavering? Yeah, I, I'm pretty much made up my mind. That's what I'm saying, right? I am going to do this. I am going to buy that. I have my mind set on it. That's the way we are to take this. They have, they have their mind set on the flesh. It's, it's more than just a mindset. It's having their mind set, like in concrete. It is set. It has to do with the will how, and how that is lived out. So those who are in the flesh live according to the flesh and they by nature have their mind set on pursuing the things of the flesh the, the sin nature in them controls them and seeks to fulfill self self always wants to please self not God their minds are given over to pursuing the things of the flesh. Now it's been a while since we've been in Romans 1. But I want to take you back there for a moment. Just to review a few verses. Go back to Romans 1. And we are reminded of. What a mind given over to the flesh is like. Starting at verse 21. Of Romans 1. <clears throat> Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Because that was their, their thought pattern, their mindset. God gave them up. He let them have their way in this. Okay, if you want to pursue sin, look what it's going to look like. And let's pick up the passage again in verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to a debased mind so that their mind is set on these things. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And here's an example of those kinds of things. Here's a list. It's not an exhaustive list, but being filled, being filled with all unrighteousness sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, 
boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's a pretty wide-ranging list of sins there, isn't it? All the way from uh, murder to disobeying parents. You know, and God doesn't make a distinction there like, well, disobeying parents is a small thing, so that's okay compared to murder. There, all the things on this list are things which dishonor God and are sin and rebellion against God and His ways, and many more besides. But that is a, a partial list of what it means for someone to, be, to have their mind set on the flesh. They will pursue self. Even people who want to please others really do it for self. They do it either out of, of love or fear. For instance, uh, the, if you have fear of man, fear of what other people will think of you, you try to please them so that it makes you look better, so you don't get in trouble and so forth. And so out of the fear of man, you want self to be safe. Or maybe it's out of love because you have this relationship with someone and you want that to continue and so you like the way that that makes you feel and so you try to please them so that it pleases you. Even in things like that, which it's a good thing to try to please others if it's kept within its bounds, especially like a, a husband to a wife and a wife to husband, but it's, um, it, it can be a stumbling block as well. So because they live according to the flesh, because they set their minds on the things of the flesh, and thirdly, because they are separated from God. The first part of verse 6 says to be carnally minded. Now carnally is an old way of saying fleshly. Really, The word carnal or carnally there really means of the flesh. So we could translate that to be fleshly minded as most translations do. For to be fleshly minded is death we've looked before um, at this word death in Romans means not just physical death but spiritual death which is separation from God so if they are separated from God they cannot do anything to please him it's if you think about it for a moment in the physical way if a, if a body is physically dead there's nothing that that body can do to please anyone else or to please God. The, the bodies in the grave it is not going to do anything because it's physically dead. Well, if a body is spiritually dead, it cannot do anything to please God because it has this separation from God, has no contact with Him. So this spiritual death puts one in a position where nothing they do can please God. <coughs> Go back to the Old Testament for a few moments here to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59. 
look at the first couple of verses here in Isaiah 59. See, God's, God doesn't have a problem hearing prayer. It's not like there's some fault with God that communication's not coming in quite clearly or something, but look what, what, the, uh, what Isaiah says. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Because of sin in a person's life, God will not hear that prayer. He will not hear that person. The only prayer that God hears of an unsaved person is a prayer of repentance. Save me. Forgive me. While we're in this section, look at Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. He is willing to hear and to forgive to those who come in penitence to him. But look at how this, this chapter ends. Isaiah 57, starting at verse 19. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will hear him. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Because the wicked is estranged from God, separated from God, spiritually dead and cannot do anything to please God, there is no peace. Which brings us to the next point in Romans chapter 8. And that is that the unsaved cannot please God because they are at war with God. If you go back to Romans 8. They have no peace because they are at war with God. Verse 7. <clears throat> because the fleshly mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. In verse 7, Paul gives us three reasons why the unsaved are at war with God, why he says that. First of all, because the, the fleshly mind, the, the mind set on the things of the flesh, is at enmity against God. The, the word enmity is translated by some versions as hostile. They are hostile to God. And that is true. And that's, that's going in the right direction in understanding what that word means. But it's more than just hostility. You see, someone could be angry at you and be hostile towards you, and it could be a flare-up. It could be a temporary thing. It could be an emotional thing. They're angry. They're hostile towards you. 
but enmity means more than hostility enmity is a settled position it means to be someone's enemy it's not just um, being angry or hostile it is to, to be the enemy of someone and that's what this verse is saying that the carnal or the fleshly mind is an enemy of God now we saw this before in chapter 5 verse 10 if you go back to Romans chapter 5 for a moment so we we think about our previous state this is a the state of someone before they are believers what God does for them Romans 5 10 for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God so every person before they become saved is not just considered neutral with God like I leave him alone and he leaves me alone or something but they are enemies for if when we were enemies of God we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life so what an enemy needs, an enemy of God needs, is to be reconciled with God through the death of his son. Well, Paul says here that that's one of the reasons that they are at war with God because their mind is, is uh, at enmity toward God. In verse 7, he gives us something else. Not only is the fleshly mind enmity against God, but it is not subject to the law of God. So the mind set on the flesh is not subject to God. It's not submissive to God. The, law, the, the mind set on the flesh is in rebellion against God. A person not living for God is living against God. The mind, which is a fleshly guided mind is at war with God and not subject to him he is the king and they are in rebellion to him the third reason verse 7 because the, the fleshly mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God and the third reason nor indeed can it be not only is it not submissive to God it can't be the unsaved person is is totally depraved. That doesn't mean that an unsaved person does everything possible that's possible to do wrong, but that they can do nothing possibly right. They're totally depraved in all their being. They are totally unable to please God. They are his enemies. Now, imagine if someone murdered your child. If someone murdered your child and then did something nice for your neighbor, would you consider that person a good person? Would that then make you friends with them? Would that be pleasing to you? Well, our God, who has a much higher standard than we are, also says no. 
because our sins are responsible for the death of his son. For a person to be nice to their neighbor doesn't cut it, right? That is in no way going to make up for the sin of their life and their rebellion against holy God. An unsaved person is at war with God. Sin and self consume and control the unsaved person's life. Their mindset and desire is to seek to please self and not God. They are spiritually dead. They cannot please God. They do not want to. They do not know how to. They don't seek to. And even if they did, they wouldn't have the ability to. But now let's move to the, the good news. That the, the saved person can please God. Now that doesn't mean that they always do. Is it possible for a saved person to displease God? To do something that is not in his favor? Well, of course it is. Every time we sin, that is true. And in fact, because he loves us... Um, Hebrews 12 tells us that he, like a loving father, he chastises those whom he loves when, when we do something that displeases him. So it's not that we always please him, but it means finally at last a saved person is now in a position where it is possible to please God. They can please God and they should please God. We should then Paul gives four reasons why that is so, which, of course, mirror the four reasons why an unsaved person can't. First of all, because they live according to the Spirit. Instead of living according to the flesh, they live according to the Spirit. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So... They live according to the Spirit. The, the controlling, guiding principle for a saved person's life is the Holy Spirit. Not self, not flesh, not the sin nature, but the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit always leads us to please God. When we are obedient to the leading of the Spirit, He will always lead us to please God. Jesus said in... Uh, John 8, 29, I always do the things that please the Father. The Father said of Jesus, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15 and verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. It's a wonderful uh, declaration of the Trinity here, by the way, because the Spirit comes from the Father and testifies of the Son. 
In fact, look down at verse, uh, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. However, when he, the, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Read that twice in verse 26 of chapter 15. He's the spirit of truth. In verse 13 of chapter 16, he's the spirit of truth who guides us into all truth. And he, as he leads us into truth, verse uh, 14 says that he will lead us to glorify Christ. So if we live according to the Spirit, we will glorify Christ by our lives. If we live according to the flesh, we will not please God. But if we live according to the Spirit, we will glorify Christ and please God. So the saved can please God, first of all, because they live according to the Spirit, and secondly, because they set their minds on the thing, things of the Spirit. Now, back to Romans 8, 5. The last part of that verse says, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, that is, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And remember again, this is the same kind of terminology, to set your mind is, is more than just thinking about it. It's more than just a mindset. It's a mind set on doing the will of God. It's a, it's a life given over to pursuing the things which please God, the things of the Spirit. Well, those who uh, live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, what are the things of the Spirit? Well, for one thing, uh, you could easily categorize it as all those things which are opposite of the flesh. Because we're, this passage is talking about the, those two sides, either live according to the flesh or according to the spirit. So the things which are opposite our natural old nature or sinful nature, those things are according to the spirit. But also, it'd be those things which are consistent with God's revelation, with God's truth, his word, the things that he has already revealed to us, and the things which are consistent with the character of God because the spirit will always lead us towards godliness, towards Christ-likeness, towards what is true of the character of God. It would be those things which, are, which bring glory to Christ. So to, be, to mind the things of the Spirit would be in that direction. So the saved can please God because they live according to the Spirit. They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And third... Because they are not separated from God. In um, verse 6. For to be fleshly minded is death. Remember how we talked about that being uh, separated from God. Spiritual death. But to be spiritually minded is life. To have spiritual life. To be spiritually minded is a... Is a demonstration of the fact that there is life that the way chapter 6 of Romans ended is this 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so he is the one who gives us life so that we are no longer separated from God. The person who's separated from God cannot please God because he's in a different condition. He's spiritually dead. But if your condition is you're spiritually alive, you're no longer separated from God. What happened to Christ on the cross as he took our sin? Between Christ, the Son of God, and the Father. He was separated from his Father, wouldn't he? Because God the Father had to turn his back on Christ who took on him all of our sin. God cannot look with favor on sin. So if the Father turned away, separated himself from the Son so that you would never have to be separated from God. So that when we read a word like this so that we have life, meaning that we're not separated from God, Remember what it cost for you to not be separated from God was that Christ would be on the cross as he took your sin. We are no longer separated and nothing shall ever separate us. If you want to look forward to the end of this, <clears throat> this chapter of Romans, look at verse 35 and following. We'll get back to this passage and uh, uh, we'll finally get to Romans 8, 35 and following the, the end of August. But just to kind of give you a preview of that now, look at this magnificent statement starting at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? We are not separated now. Okay, that's our current condition. Can anything separate us? That's a question. What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. So even if we went through that kind of persecution, verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing in all creation, nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And because we are not separated from God, we can please God. And finally, because the saved are at peace with God, they can please Him. The unsaved are, are at war with God, but the saved are at peace with God. Verse 7, remember, said, because the fleshly mind is, is enmity, is an enemy against God. But in verse 6 we read, For to be uh, fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is not only life, but look at this, peace. Life and peace. We are at peace with God. 
You, you can't please someone that you're not at peace with. If you're having, even on a human level, uh, if you are having difficulties with someone, if, if you are at war with them, uh, you're not going to be able to please them. And so it's uh, imperative that a person be at peace with God before they can please God. It's a prerequisite to pleasing God. And we have peace with God because we have life. Because we have been born again. <clears throat> Remember back to Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Colossians 1.19 tells us that Christ made peace by the blood of his cross. Ephesians 2.14 tells us he himself is our peace. So we have peace with God through what Christ has done. When the Jews looked at Mount Sinai and the law, you read back in Exodus 19 and 20 and the giving of the law <clears throat> and its description again in uh, Hebrews 12, that Mount Sinai was filled with a dark cloud and thunderings and lightnings and darkness and a sense of doom and dread at the potential wrath of God. But as you look at Mount Calvary and the cross, all the wrath of God was poured out there so that you could have peace. All the wrath of God was placed on Christ so you could have peace and that you could please him with your life. And the question then comes to this, will you? We want to please those whom we love. And <clears throat> there's no one whom we should love more than our God, our Lord and Savior. To live a life that pleases him is something that he does in us but he, he puts us in this position here finally now where we can please him. Um, we're going to close with a song, Amazing Love. <clears throat> As the team comes forward, let me just remind you of the words to that that we'll be singing in just a moment. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well. Your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? Before we pray, let's, before we sing, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have brought us from being in a position where we were your enemies and could do nothing to please you to a place where we are counted your friends, your sons and daughters even, in your kingdom, that we at last might, by the power of your spirit, please you. I pray for any here who, who do not please you, who are still in this unsaved condition, that you might open their heart to their need and what you have supplied on Calvary in dying for our sin.
for those of us who know you, Lord, that we would um, have a renewed commitment to live in light of these truths, that by your Spirit we might please you. It is amazing to us, Lord, that you would die for such as us. But we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.